little girl went to the doctor for a preschool physical exam. The doctor checked out her throat and ears and heart and all the physical parts were fine. And so the doctor moved on to some coordination tests. And so the doctor said, could you stand on one foot for me now? Sure, she said obediently as she stood on the doctor's foot. (laughs) Obedience is one of the things that we're thinking about today. Abraham appears to be as ready and as willing as this child, but he was responding to a much darker test. Abraham, God calls. And like during a roll call when we're waiting to hear our names, ready to respond, here, Abraham is attentive and ready to respond. Here I am. At Vacation Bible School last week, the children learned to be ready to do what God requests. The first night was the story of the Israelite slaves in Egypt when they were told not to even wait for the bread to rise, but to take unleavened bread with them on their trip out of Egypt. They had to be ready to go the minute Pharaoh finally released them. At the fire station, we see the doors wide open on all the trucks, so when the call comes, they're ready to go. Some graduates of Baptist Theological at Seminary heard the Lord call them to active justice, so these three couples moved to a low-income, high-risk area of Charlotte to provide multiple ministries to the people there. They don't drive into the city offer ministry to people in need, and then go back to their safe neighborhood at night. They establish themselves among the people, among God's children who have felt forgotten and unloved, to show them how God dwells among us. The Lord called, and they responded, here we are. The Lord calls us to do some difficult and strange things. This passage of Scripture makes me squirm. I planned to do it, and I thought, why did I choose this? (laughs) I don't like to consider God as one who would even suggest that a father even seem to sacrifice his child. And I notice there's a fascinating lack of emotion in the passage of Scripture. Abraham's responses and actions are almost robotic, but certainly to us listeners or the readers, we feel the emotion. With indignation, we ask, what sort of God would command such cruelty? Why doesn't Abraham argue with God? Is this the kind of God to whom I want to be faithful? If we were going to be like Thomas Jefferson and cut out parts of the Bible, this passage might be a likely candidate. Except that it tells us some important things about God and about ourselves. It strikes me that this story is sort of like Brussels sprouts. While we may find it distasteful, it still can nourish us. We're told right away at the beginning of chapter 22 in Genesis, God is testing Abraham. 
Abraham has been faithful before. We saw that in chapter 12 when God told Abraham to leave his land and go to a land that God would show them. And Abraham went. That's what it says. So Abraham went. In the same situation now, God calls. Abraham, here I am. The story sets us up to realize how precious Isaac is to his father Abraham. Abraham, a name which means father or ancestor of a multitude. The Lord tells Abraham to take his only son with his wife Sarah, the son whom he loves, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. And so, like in chapter 12, Abraham responds well to the first part of the test. He rises early the next morning, saddles his donkey, takes two men, his son Isaac, the son he loves, and the wood on which he would offer the sacrifice. Three days later, Abraham releases the donkey from his labor as well as the two young men he's brought with him. He takes the wood off the donkey and lays it on Isaac. Sort of like when Jesus was given the cross piece of his cross to carry to his own crucifixion. And the two move forth together with the fire and the knife. The suspense builds as young Isaac notices something is missing. Father, how does Abraham respond? Here I am my son. Somehow it feels different this time. Isaac's been running through the inventory, fire, check, wood, check, lamb for burnt offering. Father, where's the lamb? Abraham responds, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says, Abraham does not tell Isaac all he wants to know because Abraham himself does not know. He does not know at the moment if Isaac is God's act of provision. He doesn't know that God will provide a rescue for Isaac. Abraham does not know, but he trusts unreservedly. He is the man ready to commit his way to the Lord. According to Psalm 37.5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. All Abraham knows is that God will provide whatever is necessary. Like the German proverb says, begin to weave and God will provide the thread. In the roller coaster of the story, it sounds okay at the crest of the hill, but then the bottom drops out. When they come to the place God has shown Abraham, he builds his altar there, lays the wood in order, and then the suspense begins building again. He binds his son, his only son, the one whom he loves, and places him on top of the wood. What is Isaac thinking? 
Is he schooled enough to be able to recite the Psalms of lament, the Psalms of like number 13, which Esther just sang from? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. This text from chapter 22 expresses little emotion, but other scriptures help us to feel the depth of pain and uncertainty and fear. It's not unlike Jesus' cry to God in one of his darkest moments. Maybe you have this in your spiritual memory. The night before Jesus was crucified, and he and his disciples went to a place called Gethsemane, where Jesus threw himself on the ground. What emotion is there, Matthew says. He threw himself on the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. That wasn't the end of the prayer. He ended it with a promise of obedience. Yet, not what I want, but what you want. Could that have been Abraham's prayer too? When all that's left is the use of the knife, another voice calls, Abraham, Abraham, twice. Abraham offers his recited response for the third time. Here I am. And again, we are not told how Abraham feels, but any one of us who has loved a child releases our breath and our heart rate begins to return to normal with the new message, stop. Stop. You have proved your fear of God. You have passed the test. Spaceship Earth is a ride through time and space at Disney World's Epcot. When my family was on the ride in cars called Time Machines, we were moving past animatronic scenes from human history. And then something broke down, and the time machine stopped. And so for a while, we were stuck in the past as cavemen wielded spears at a giant mammoth. You know, I thought about how sometimes we get stuck in time. And I, I think we can risk getting stuck in the past with this passage. If we let the image of God's initial command hold sway over the resolution of the story, we stay stuck in the past. Rabbi Joseph Hertz said that child sacrifice was the norm among many of the people of Abraham's day, even some Semitic peoples. And so that God would provide an animal in place of a child was therefore different, affirming, hopeful. It was the time machine moving forward. It was the evolution of the people's understanding of God. They learned that God provides and not through child sacrifice. We learn that God provides. We cannot discern, understand how God works, but God provides. 
While this story is often called the binding of Isaac, it is a story of freedom. Isaac does not remain bound, nor does Abraham's understanding of God's provision. Both are set free. Perhaps you have an experience in your own life in which you had felt bound, but were then set free. When I was thinking about that, I thought about yesterday, um, we celebrated my aunt's 80th birthday, and her daughter, my cousin, came up to me at first, and she said um, they had been going through old pictures to put out at the party, and they came across one with me and an old boyfriend. I'm not sure if it's Brian. Did you date Brian in high school? No. Well, she went and got the picture, and she brought it back to me, and my nine-year-old was with me when she gave it back to me, and I told him who it was. He'd heard the name, and he asked why I hadn't married Tom. He wasn't very interested in God and church, I told him. I could have told him a lot more. As in most breakups, there's more to the story. The, but the unbinding of that twosome was good for both of us. And we both are happily married to other people. Think of a time then when you have been freed from feeling bound. Do you know that it was through God's provision that that freedom came? The Bible relates story after story of God providing what a person needs. So that in Psalm 13, which we heard, the how long, O God, even after crying out, how long, how long will you hide your face from me? The psalmist remembers, but I trusted in your steadfast love. And then the psalmist looks forward and My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. What faith, what trust, that salvation is to come. It's not here yet, but my heart shall rejoice when it comes. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Too often we experience God's provision and then we just want to hold on. We get stingy. Some churches get stingy with their buildings. Some get stingy with their money. Some get stingy with their time. All of these things that we have are gifts. They're not ours to hold on to, to bind, but ours to give away. When we take this a step further, we see how God provides for us through others. Meals during a crisis prayer cards and shawls to comfort and encourage us, a community to cry with us and laugh with us. When we see how God has provided so much for us, we take the further step to remember that God also provides for others through us. It's not fair for us to do all the taking without giving back. Another activity that the children did during vacation Bible school was they were invited to bring with them multi-packs of small items, non-perishable food, um, combs, small toothpastes. 
And then that all those things were laid out on a table and the kids could take a gallon Ziploc bag and take various things to put in what was to be called a manna bag. God provided manna, food, for the children of Israel when they were starving in the wilderness. And so the kids, now that they have those bags, can choose. Do I want to take my bag to a shelter where people are hungry? Or do I want to keep it in my car for the time when I see somebody on a street corner that, holding a sign that says, homeless, please help? Or do they know a student from one of their classes at school who could use a few healthy snacks this summer? Just as God provided what Abraham needed, God can work through the children and through us to provide what others need. General Douglas MacArthur wrote in Reminiscences about a section of class when they were studying the time-space relationships that were later formulated by Einstein into the theory of relativity. He said, the text was complex. Being able to compre- unable to comprehend it, I committed the pages to memory. And so when he was called on to recite, he solemnly reeled off almost word for word exactly what the text had said. And the instructor looked at him somewhat quizzically and asked, do you understand this theory? And MacArthur said it was a bad moment for him, but he did not hesitate in replying, no, sir. And you could have heard a pin drop in the room as he braced himself and waited. And then the slow words of the professor came, neither do I, Mr. MacArthur, section dismissed. We can't understand everything about God. And yet it is enough to listen for God's quiet voice and be ready to say, here I am. Let's pray. Oh Lord, call us and grant us the courage to respond. Here I am, my Lord, ready to do what you call me to do. Amen.